Church, as always, it is a tremendous privilege and joy to share in God's Word with you this evening, even as we look forward to 2024. I believe that today's message is a timely message, and may it fill us with hope. Please open your Bibles to Acts 9, 32 to 43. The title of this sermon is Jesus, the God of Miracles. Jesus, the God of Miracles. Today we continue in part two of our series in Acts entitled Strong and Courageous in Witness. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we want to encourage you to raise a hand. One of our ushers will put a Bible in your hand. You're going to need it. And you can find today's text on page 535 of those Bibles. In addition, if you don't have a Bible at home, we want you to receive it as a gift and encouragement to read and study God's Word at home. Amen? Church, before we get into today's message, I have one question for us to consider. Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in miracles? See, we live in a society today that has become more and more obsessed with the unknown and the supernatural. It has become virtuous to self-identify as spiritual rather than religious. And it is increasingly common to hear of people in all walks of life dabbling into witchcraft and occult practices and all kinds of spiritual practices. This is our society today, loved ones. In addition, many in the church today flock to false teachers who promote supernatural healing and restoration through their courses, books, and conferences, promising good health, wealth, and prosperity. These false teachers seek their own glory and not the glory of Christ. And why? Loved ones, people are desperate for God and are seeking elsewhere what can only be found in Jesus Christ, in the person and works of Jesus Christ through the gospel. So church, will you share the simple, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ in a lost and broken world with great expectation, with great expectation. As we step into 2024, do you believe that Jesus can use you as a vessel to display his power and glory through the proclamation and demonstration of the gospel? The issue you and I face every day Is twofold. For on one hand, you and I are prone to believe that we are God and that God must perform, must respond to our bidding request. 
And on the other hand, we are prone to develop minimal to no expectation for the supernatural power of God at all. We pray, but do we expect for God to move? When we share the gospel, do we expect for God to move? When we share his word, do we expect for God to move? See, often we doubt God's ability to heal and transform those around us. We doubt his ability to melt the heart of stone and to restore a broken life. And consequently, we doubt his ability uh, to empower us for faithful witness and to use each and every one of us in our weakness mightily for his glory. The big idea of this text, you'll want to write this down, we'll see woven through the passage is that nothing is impossible for Jesus, so witness with great expectation. That is that nothing is impossible for Jesus, so witness with great expectation. Nothing is impossible for our God. Now, remember, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are two volumes of one book. Together they tell us how God invites the people of Israel and then all the world to follow Jesus Christ. Its literary genre is historical narrative, which to simplify that is just real life on paper. It's either written by a person who actually experienced the events or a person who closely observed or studied them extensively. This book was written for the purpose that Luke's reader uh, Theophilus, as noted in the opening statement of the Gospel of Luke, uh, and all who would read after would have certainty concerning the Gospel, concerning the person and works of Jesus Christ and its implications for all who believe. With that said, when we read historical narratives, which are created to be descriptive, it's important that we take time to discern which portions of the passage are descriptive and prescriptive. Descriptive passages describe what happened. They give us detailed stories of the events that took place. While prescriptive passages give clear commands and instructions as to how we are called to live as followers of Christ. And this is crucial as misinterpretations of today's passage, as many others in the book of Acts, are often the great cause of division and confusion in the church today. So we ought to be students of God's Word. As we journey through this passage, we will see from Luke's record of two miraculous events, two important truths that we must believe increasingly by the power of the Holy Spirit if we are to witness with great expectation and see the power of the gospel go forth to all nations. Church, will you stand with me to honor the authority of God's word as we read? We're going to read the first section, Acts 9, 32 to 35, the healing of Aeneas. And it reads, 
Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, better ridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the saints, Lydda and Sharon, saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, and all God's people say, Amen. Church, you may take your seats. A witness expected in Jesus proclaims his name. Church, there is power in the name of Jesus. Will you proclaim him? There is power in the name of Jesus. Will you proclaim him? Previously, we saw through the miraculous event of, of, of the conversion of Saul, the greatest persecutor of the church, that there is no match for the unstoppable pursuit of Jesus Christ, and that no heart is too far gone for his saving grace. And as the gospel continues to go forth in power, the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria is filled with peace and being built up in Christ. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, It is multiplying and spreading all over Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Now we see Peter, the apostle and leader of the church in Jerusalem, as an itinerant minister, which simply means a traveling servant, traveling to visit communities among the dispersed Christians of Judea. In verse 32, Luke writes that Peter came to the saints, as in uh, the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. Lydda, also known as Lod in the Old Testament, Lydda is a city 15 kilometers southeast of Tel Aviv and about 40 kilometers northwest of Jerusalem in the central district. Why why does this matter? Because uh, this place exists. This is history. Here, Peter's mission was to edify the church and evangelize the lost through the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And in verse 33, we see that in Lydda, Peter found a man named Aeneas, who had been confined to his bed, paralyzed for eight years. Church, for you to be paralyzed for eight years, especially in the time of ancient medicine, it is likely a permanent condition, which means that his muscle tissues would have reduced greatly in size. They're probably wasted away. And on a human level, it means that he will never regain muscle control and mobility. Church, his condition is irreversible. Irreversible. Aeneas is confined to his bed in a desperate and helpless state. Oh, but in verse 34, we see that Peter, upon finding Aeneas, declares to him, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. Immediately he rose. That means within seconds and without delay, Aeneas sprung to his feet. 
What a miracle. Note, Peter proclaims uh, Jesus Christ and not himself. Peter here is not seeking his own glory, but the glory of Christ. Similar to the healing of the lame beggar at the beautiful gate in chapter 3, Peter knows that this healing is not accomplished by his own power or religious sanctitude. In other words, Peter knows uh, that it's not Peter in his own strength conjuring up enough faith and religious practice to declare healing over the sick. Uh, For Peter knows that the power is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Peter's not setting up a healing crusade under the name of St. Peter's healing ministries. For he knows that the power is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Peter seeks Christ's glory and follows Christ's example. Note the similarity between this healing and that of the paralytic. You'll want to write this passage down, Mark 2, 9 to 11. Here Jesus also heals a paralytic using words similar to that of Peter. This is the event where four men carrying their paralyzed friend, also bedridden, could not enter the crowded room Jesus was preaching in. So they removed the roof and lowered their friend down to where Jesus was preaching. And Jesus, in response to their faith, says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Peter here is repeating what he witnessed with his own eyes as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Peter seeks Christ's glory. Peter follows Christ's example. And Peter believes Christ's command and promise. See, this healing reaffirms the authority, the authenticity of Peter's apostleship. If we go back to Matthew 10, 1, Jesus gave his disciples as in sent ones commission to lay the foundation of the church by authenticating the power and the truth of the gospel. Jesus gave his apostles authority to drive out demons, heal the sick, and raise the dead. Here we see Peter believed that Jesus had authority over sickness. That Jesus had authority over paralysis. And in the almighty name of Jesus Christ, he declares healing over Aeneas. But watch, then what happened? Verse 35, see the text. It says that all, as in an extremely large amount of the residents who lived in Lydda in the plain of Sharon saw Aeneas, and after hearing the gospel, they turned to the Lord. See, the ultimate purpose, the ultimate purpose of this miracle was not simply physical. It was not simply physical, but spiritual. That people would hear the gospel in word. See the gospel in action and believe the gospel 
in faith and turn to the Lord. Church, do you believe that many, if not all, in our schools can be saved? That many, if not all, in our families can be saved? That many, if not all, in our neighborhoods can be saved? Church, that many, if not all, in our nation can be saved? Do you believe that? Because what you believe will be shown in the way you live and the urgency you carry. We have to believe, remember, that nothing is impossible for Jesus. A witness expected in Jesus proclaims his name in every season, situation, and opportunity with great expectation. Will you proclaim him? Will you proclaim him? Live in the text like Aeneas. You've been paralyzed for eight years in a desperate and helpless state, confined to your bed, unable to move without assistance, and your condition is permanent and irreversible. How would you feel? How would you feel? Maybe lonely, forsaken, a burden to others, poor as especially in this time, you are likely unable to provide for yourself, maybe helpless and in despair. Here's the reality God wants us to see from this and what we cannot miss, church. It is this, that the physical state of Aeneas represents the spiritual state of all who are living without saving grace in Jesus Christ. Desperate and helpless, without hope for restoration, without hope for healing, and without hope for eternal life. And if that's you in this room, do you realize that you, just like Aeneas is in this passage, are without true and eternal hope. That you are without true and eternal hope. See, all are guilty. All are guilty of sin against the perfect and holy God. Therefore, we are deserving of his punishment. His law is perfectly designed for his creation to flourish. And to oppose the law of God is to oppose him and that which is precious to him. I say this with all humility and love in my heart. You will not escape the wrath of God. You will not escape the wrath of God. How will you respond today? See, but God, being rich in mercy, sent his only son, Jesus Christ, and he who knew no sin became sin and bore the wrath of God that we might become the righteousness of God. That our relationship with him would be restored. Jesus Christ in our place, dying the death that we deserve. That all who believe and place their trust in him, that all who believe and place their trust in him would not perish, but have eternal life. This is the good news. This is the gospel, loved ones. If this is you, 
May this be the day that you turn away from your sin and into the gracious, loving arms of our Lord and Savior. May this be the day. Don't wait another day, for tomorrow is not promised. And church, do you believe that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I have all we need to faithfully proclaim Jesus Christ in a lost and broken and desperate world? Remember, there's power in the name of Jesus. Will you proclaim him? Who has God put around you? Who has God entrusted you for that, to you for that matter? To share the gospel with them. Is it on your sports teams, your neighborhood, that person you think is too far gone or too hard to receive God's word? You never know what the word of God will do. See, God's word will not return empty or void. He will use it in his way for his glory as he sees fit. Whether you see the fruit or not, loved ones, be encouraged. Be encouraged. He will waste nothing. Nothing, absolutely nothing is wasted. His word will turn, will not return void. Be expectant for that. A witness expectant in Jesus proclaims his name. Next, we see that a witness expectant in Jesus calls on his name. I'm going to read verses 36 to 43, eyes in the text. It says, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days she became ill and died. And when they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was near, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics, and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and windows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and in many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. She has word of the healing of Aeneas spreads. It reaches a nearby city named Joppa which is modern Jaffa, now a part of southern Tel Aviv in Israel, and is 19 kilometers from Lydda. In verse 36, Luke records that in Joppa there was a disciple, as in a follower of Christ, named Tabitha. Tabitha is Aramaic, and translated to Greek is Dorcas. Dorcas is a, which, sorry, Dorcas means gazelle. 
And a gazelle is a graceful little antelope, often mistaken for a deer. In Jewish tradition, back then a gazelle was often seen as a very positive symbol of love, of life, and even of God. To a rabbi, one of the most positive things to be said of a bride is that she is as graceful as a gazelle. And we see in verse 36 that Tabitha was a precious friend to many. She had a good reputation and lived to her name. And she was known for her acts of charity and kindness, serving the poor and those in desperate need. Then verse 37 and 38, we see that Tabitha became ill and died. So they washed her body and laid her in the upper room, which some say is tradition for an open visit, casket visitation. Uh, but after hearing that Peter was near Joppa, they sent two men urging him, saying, please come without delay. And so Peter went, and when he arrived at the upper room, there with the widows weeping and mourning her loss and showing robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made, in verse 40, Luke notes that Peter sent them out of the room and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the dead body, he said, Tabitha, Arise. And she opened her eyes and sat up. I love that. Jesus not only has authority over the sick, Jesus also has authority over the dead. Here we see another parallel to the ministry of Jesus. Peter follows Christ's example almost to the T at the healing of Jairus' daughter, the ruler of the synagogue, in Mark 5, 38 to 42. Here Jesus allows no one to go with him but Peter, James, and John. And when Jesus arrived at the house and saw the commotion where people were weeping and wailing loudly, he put them outside of the room just like Peter does here. Then taking her by the hand, he said in Greek, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Just one letter in variation from Peter's Tabitha kumi, which means, Tabitha, arise. After this, Peter presented her alive to the saints. And in verse 42, we see that again, Many who lived in Joppa became aware of this miraculous event. And after hearing the gospel, they turned to the Lord. Loved ones, I don't want us to miss this. First, we saw through the life of, through the healing of Aeneas, that Jesus Christ has authority over sickness. Following, we saw that through the resurrection of Tabitha, that Jesus has authority over death. But woven through, these, through both of these miraculous events is a more significant truth that we must not miss. 
This is important. It is that salvation is the greatest miracle of all. Salvation is the greatest miracle of all. Whether spiritually paralyzed are able to walk. And the spiritually blind are granted the ability to see. And the spiritually dead are gifted eternal life. There is no greater miracle. And Jesus has authority over it all. Matthew 19, 25 to 26, after hearing a hard word, the disciples look to Jesus and they say, who then can be saved? And Jesus responds and says, see, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, these two miraculous events, as amazing as they are, were only signs meant to turn our eyes to Jesus, the God of miracles, the agent of creation, to whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus, the one who spoke the world into existence and upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus, to whom nothing is impossible. These miracles were meant to affirm the message. But no one stops at a sign in amazement, obsesses over it, and forgets that the sign was meant to point them to their destination. Likewise, you and I are not meant to obsess over the miracle, over the sign, the gift, the creation, and forget the person it was meant to point us to. The whole earth is full of his glory. It all points to Jesus Christ and our need to humble ourselves before him and to call on his name. When I was 16, the Lord began to stir in me a burning passion for the gospel. One week I decided to fast and pray. My, my father's church was near our home, so I would, with his permission, stay the nights every now and then. And one night I remember going on a prayer walk, and, and I prayed over my high school and the high school next to it. In addition, another morning I went to school early to play basketball and had a bit of a detour as I sensed the Lord calling me to pray inside the building this time. So I circled the building, praying over as many classrooms as I could. And when I got back to the main floor at the main foyer, I knelt down and prayed in the middle of the foyer. Fast forward four years later, I went to a conference, and at one of their booths, I met a gentleman who was advertising an organization that sends missionaries around the world based out of Houston, Texas. And he recognized me and asked, do I know you? I thought to myself, Houston, Texas? I mean, I do have family out there, but I've never been. So I said no. And he goes, no, no, I recognize you. Did, did you go to such and such high school? And I said, yes. 
So we began to connect over the common grounds of the high school that we went to. Afterwards, when I was leaving the conference, I opened the, exit, I opened the door to exit the facility. And the Lord reminded me of that time I knelt down to pray in the main foyer at that high school. See, a few months after that, I began inviting friends to my house to just share with them the little that I was learning in God's Word. Shortly after, my brother joined me, and over a few months, within a year, we had about 50 youth gathering to hear God's Word and worship together. And as I opened that door, He reminded me that those 50 youth that would come on a weekly basis every Thursday night to worship and to study the scriptures were from those two schools. And it amazed me. That day he taught me that the Lord hears our prayers, church. He hears our prayers And that a humble heart, a weak, broken, and desperate heart, he will not deny. Church, do we expect for God to move? Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Will you depend on him? To what or to who are you bowing the knee before independence? For to whoever you bow the knee to, that is who you will worship. Are you depending on the gifts, the good health, the wealth, on the happiness, the comfort in this age? Are you depending on the miracles, the signs, or the God of it all? See, Peter was an ordinary man in the hands of an extraordinary God. The man who Jesus had to rebuke, saying, get behind me, Satan. The man who denied Jesus three times in the public arena to preserve his life. But as Peter and the apostles turned to the Lord in humility and dependence and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Peter preached his very first sermon and over 3,000 believers were added to the church. See, God is not looking for your ability to perform for him. Church, he is not a God in need. He's looking for your humility and dependence on him so that he can display his glory through you as you humble yourself before him. One might ask, so should we head to the hospital? in cemetery and start declaring healing over the sick and raising the dead? And to that, I say no. No. This is where we need to be discerning of the distinction between uh, prescriptive and descriptive passages. See, our author Luke is a physician. He's a doctor and disciple of Paul. And his careful attention to detail is his strength. And his goal here was to provide an orderly and consistent description of these events that his reader 
Theophilus was already taught so that Theophilus and all who would read after him would have certainty concerning the events that took place which brought forth the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means for all who believe. This was his goal. Here Luke writes about the apostle Peter, a sent one, an eyewitness of Christ, commissioned by Christ himself along with the other apostles and prophets to set the foundation of the church as we see in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Uh, the signs, wonders, and miracles accompanied them to affirm God's authority over the message. Why? Because there was many so-called gospels of this time. And it was necessary for God to display his power through his servants to affirm that this message was of divine origin. Church, God's foundation through his word and his church is now perfectly laid perfectly laid. Today the signs may vary, but the message, the power, and the authority of Jesus Christ over it all stays the same. While today Jesus can still heal the sick and raise the dead if he chooses to, he does not promise nor command good health, wealth, and happiness. He does not promise nor command that any would be healed or raised from the dead in this age, but rather in eternity. This is good news. In church, the blessings we experience today are a taste of what is to come. And because our God is full of grace and mercy, if you and I were to share our blessings, to count our blessings, we all would be dead and gone because there would be no end. He's just that good. But get this, for all who believe and place their trust in Jesus, our eternal home awaits us. Our eternal home awaits us where all will be made new. The dead will rise. The saints will receive new glorified bodies in a place where there is no pain, where there is no sorrow, no sickness, but only eternal peace in the presence of our good and gracious King. Church, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Do you believe that God can use you just as he used sinful, weak, insignificant, and often uneducated men and women of the Bible and all throughout history, even in your weakness, even in your frailty, in your falling short of his glory? Do you believe that nothing is impossible for Jesus? Witness with great expectation. Witness with great expectation. When Jesus returns, may we be found, loved ones, faithfully proclaiming his name in every season, situation, and opportunity, and calling on his name in great humility and dependence. 
God's word will not turn back void. Let's pray. Lord, we look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before you, you endured the cross, despising the shame. And now you are seated at the right hand of the Father in a place of victory as the King who will reign forever. All authority in heaven and on earth is yours and yours alone. And when you send us to go, you empower us with the means to go. Lord, in this room right now, if there are any who don't believe, we pray that they would come to saving faith today. And for the church, Lord, we pray, what will it look like if we took you at your word? Fill us with hope. Fill us with great expectation. In Jesus' name, amen.